Hello, Ernest. Hello, Ernie. Hey, it's good to be back on the podcast. I've missed our little one-on-one philosophical conversations. You've been kind of yeah, deep in the weeds oh, of uh, like design and planning and verbiage and things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to bring our uh, our listener up to date, assuming we have one, <laughs> is that we've been meeting with uh, uh, Tom Gale with Van Plan over the last few months. And then I kind of proposed a reset last Friday to kick off the new year. And rather than going over that, I want to, I've been kind of thinking about what's the big idea here. And I wanted to pitch it to you kind of from scratch and see if it makes sense to you. So we've talked about forking humanity, trying to create a more humane civilization. And I think I came up with three words that resonated with you. Uh, Humane decentralized and empowering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when I looked the three of them together, I realized the best single word I have to encapsulate those three is generative. Right? A generative society is when it sort of maximizes the capacity of each individual to contribute to the whole. Okay. And rather than like enriching one at the point of making other people suboptimal. So I'm just going to use the word generative as a placeholder for that vision of humane, decentralized, and empowering, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with that. So we want to create this more generative future. So I think, and one of the things that I talked about, which was a little controversial, uh, not with you, but some of the other people on the call last Friday, was this idea of crypto. And I didn't really have a good reason for why I thought crypto was important. It just was sort of my spider sense. Like, okay, there's something here going on. And I think I figured out what it is. So let me back up a bit. So we want to build this better future, right? And it's the sort of thing that, you know, the communists have dreamed about and utopians have dreamed about and religious cults have dreamed about for a long time. And I think the reason they all failed is because they were trying to create this in a top-down way where you had one saintly individual at the top who would tell everyone what to do and then everyone would behave themselves. And saintly individuals like that are hard to find. <laughs> and even if you get close, their successes don't usually do it so good. Mormons have done better than most, but still. Um, so this is why you want to do something decentralized, right? You, yeah, and so what do you, how, do you, how do you make this work? And the uh, one... Sorry, were you going to say something? Feel free to. I said you were asking me. I, I didn't know that that was a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question, but you're welcome to say something. Uh, uh, <clears throat> well, okay, yeah, this is like an aside. Um, yes, I, I don't have a problem with crypto, other than a, a bunch of the projects that we see is just they're just um, exercises in making money for some people and yeah. the pride the pride themselves are like uh i don't know um they don't sound really uh smart or, or really uh valuable so uh right right even if they it. are you know built around a decentralized technology it seems like they actually centralize all the decision making and most of the wealth gathering correct and and we have Heard of uh, work of I mean and what is it the proof of stake uh, now mm-hmm. seeing the, the the new thing, but then the problem is that the stakeholders are the ones who control the platform, and that doesn't uh, jive with me. 
So, what I understand, you know, crypto is going to advance the way it does. What I see is that in, I say decentralization, but not based on crypto. Uh, I'm talking about a different way of decentralization. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, uh, and I'm, uh, remembering our conversations, you know, we use the pro-social mantra. I uh-huh. stay with reputation. Uh, mm-hmm. So instead of uh, using crypto as your valuable thing, you use your reputation. Without your reputation, mm-hmm. you are nothing. So mm-hmm. you have to build up your reputation so that other others can trust you. And trust mm-hmm. is also an, indi- an individual thing. So depend, depending on a person's values, they would assign a person, uh, two people would assign a person with the same reputation, different trust because they have different values. So. Uh, yeah. But but in in the in the main reputation is your, for lack of a better word, your currency. But it's not something mm-hmm. that you can use to, to buy stuff. It's something that you can use to engender trust. And right, which you can use to you, borrow. Which in in the real world, it's something you can borrow again, but not but some, not something you can transfer. Yeah, in the yes, uh, you can use that. Well. Yeah, I guess you can transfer that to having a good credit score, but to me that's not the same. But it's similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, people so give you the benefit of the doubt if they trust you. Yeah. Yeah. So if you stake your reputation on anything that you do, uh, oh, mm-hmm. also we have to we have to uh, put this together with um, non anonymity. You cannot be anonymous right. if you are part of this community. You know, there's nothing anonymous about you. Anything you do is transparent to the whole community, and uh, 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 yeah, people can confirm. Yeah, this is Ernest doing this stuff. This is Ernest saying me saying this to me. Yeah. This is Ernest. It's like a wrote. proof of personhood, or proof, proof, what's the what's the phrase the Ethereum people use? It's proof proof of humanity, or proof of personhood, something like that. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, you mm-hmm. prove that I'm actually a real human being, and I know what you look like, and I've talked to you, and I vouch that you're actually a real individual, not just some bot. Exactly. So you yeah. you will be uh, motivated not to insult people, not to say horrible things about people, not to uh, threaten them with their life. If if people can say, you know, Ernest did that to me, and uh, uh, we can refer him to the police because he threatened my life. And right. yeah, in this community, you cannot. Do or that. we co- or, or or I guess actually the uh, I think Coventry is actually the. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase Coventry? Mm, uh, I guess no. This is no. It's a, no. It actually is a specific location. There mm. was this guy who was like a miner who betrayed the town, and so the whole town of Coventry collectively decided to pretend that he didn't exist. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, right. it's like a Scarlet, Scarlet Letter type thing. Yeah. Well, Scarlet Letter is more about shaming. Coventry is more like, like if you are not a good actor, we will we will not like brand you or punish you. We will just pretend you don't exist. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. Right. And then the value of the community is the value of reputation. Yeah. Anyway, that's the word. There's a technical so, term for it. Coventry. Okay. Yeah. A person with no reputation can do nothing. But otherwise, uh, if let's say you have a person who wants to become a member of the community, you need mm-hmm. sponsors. So you need sponsors with reputation to say, mm-hmm. I vouch for this person. I risk my reputation to get this person into the community. That's how right. people and you, come into the community. Yeah. Yes. 
And interestingly, the clubhouse uses that dynamic because Mm -hmm. you have like a finite number of invites and you want to kind of use them on people because if you bring in someone of high value to the community, everyone knows that you were their sponsor. You gain reputation from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but the opposite is true. If if the person turns out to be an asshole, you lose reputation points. Right. And they're like, you said you you can call up the sponsor. Dude, what's your friend doing here? And then you either like go like you you have the, the hard talk with them and get them to behave, or you end up getting dragged down with them. Yeah, yeah. It's not unlike so, parenting. Mm-hmm, <laughs> this is why mm-hmm. families were so important in traditional cultures, is because literally all your reputation was invested in the entire clan. Yes, families and small groups exactly. Yeah. So uh, back to crypto. Um, yeah. I see crypto not as a foundation of an entity, a community, but as a tool, just like cash is a tool, just like anything else is a tool. It's just a tool, but you cannot base base your uh, um, your voting, your governance on anything that is crypto. You have to do something else. Like I said, reputation. Well, we, 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 right. well I think the point is, is that um, like there's all these intangibles that we have, but if we want to be able to do it at scale, we need some mechanism to automate it. So we don't, yes. you know, have to all like sit around staring each other in the eye in the agora in Athens. We can actually yeah. write something down, and there's some way to calculate. So crypto could be a useful tool for tabulating things, but I think this is a really important point, and I want to hammer on this because I think this is something a lot of people miss. Crypto, like math, doesn't mean anything. All that matters is what the people around it uh, tolerate and want it to mean, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you don't, if we if we tolerate bad behavior, then that's what the community means. And if we, uh, you know, don't tolerate, you know, you know, you can have too much tolerance of the wrong things, uh, or too little tolerance of the right things. And it's not an easy thing, but it's the important thing. It's the social wetware fabric you wrap around it, and crypto just becomes a really convenient way to keep score. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, but this is this is this is beautiful. This is a perfect segue to the pitch I was going to give you. So this is a really okay, great uh, problem statement. So, okay, um, the thing that I realized was that okay, building you know the ultimate civilization is a long, hard process. That's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. So the question I'm asking: What is the thing that we can build now that will make it easier? to build that thing later. And this is the idea I have. So I'm going to pull the here. You're cutting off. You can hear that audio. You're cutting off. Right. Testing one, two, three. Can you hear me? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let me just ask you a few questions. Are you familiar with the Open Source Initiative? Yes. Right. I'm not, so, I didn't write it or anything, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so, the uh, the open source initiative has sort of uh, declared themselves the stewards of the open source definition. And Eric Raymond, the guy who wrote the Cathedral in the Bazaar, and a bunch of other people, Michael Tiemann, and uh, Mitchell Baker from the Zell Foundation, and other people, they kind of got together and came up with this. I think Tim O'Reilly was involved at some point. Uh, came with the open source definition. And what they've done is they've acted as a uh, sort of self-appointed a certifying body, I mean, it's now self-sustaining and has members and voting and things like that, but basically it's a group of individuals 
who sit and review uh, when people create a, a new license, whether it's something short like the MIT license or something complicated like MPL version two, then they can say that it's um, you know an open source certified license that it complies with these terms of the open source definition. And this mm -hmm. was really useful because people would start writing into contracts that you know like for example in federal law well you know crypto is not required it requires export controls unless it's available as open source so what counts as open source becomes a legal issue and while it's not necessarily a formal legal definition it becomes the community's term of art and when you say open source you know people expect it to mean certain things and there's always a few weird gray areas but you know most of the time it's pretty easy and you know having an organization and uh, enforcement around it really helped uh open source break into the larger mainstream because it created an abstraction that people outside it could reference and say this is open source and if i know it's open source then i don't have to think about it anymore i know it'll work fine for what we're doing okay. and you know there's gradations like copyleft and you know which you still can't use commercially but that's another uh issue the um so that's one role model I was thinking of. And the idea was, uh, the idea was precise, uh, the, the, a better role model though, is something I think it's called LEED certification. I don't know if Lead? you've seen this on a building. Lead, I think it's L-E-E-D-S. I may be getting the name wrong, but it's this thing about energy efficiency that's awarded to certain buildings where you could be silver, gold, or platinum. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah. About how green and environmentally friendly the building is. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing about this, it was just some random group of architects that came up with this. I don't know, maybe it was some fancy organization, but what happened was it created this positive sum status game where first you see that this building had a bronze lead. You go, huh, that's interesting. And then you see the other one has a silver. It's like, huh. But what happened was this became a status badge among architects. And so pretty soon you were starting where like all new buildings, uh, prestige buildings, we're trying really hard to get a platinum lead certification. It became the thing that other architects did to impress, that architects did to impress other architects. Oh. And it wasn't a government mandate, right? There was no real, you know, financial incentive. It was purely a status game, but it led to all these innovations in building design and building materials and architecture. And, you know, it has made a significant dent in, you know, the, the footprint, I think there's now like, you know, new buildings are almost entirely like self-contained carbon neutral because of this status race that was created among building architects. Okay. okay. So here's the big idea, 20 minutes into the call, is that if we want to create this uh, generative future, um, then the, we want, we want to create that same kind of status game around social architects. And to your point that you know, just being crypto doesn't guarantee anything at all. What you actually care about when you join a crypto community is like, is it fair? Is it uh, you know, generative? Is it empowering, right? You wanna know like, uh, is the system set up in a way that I know I'm gonna, that if I join it and I work hard, I'll be rewarded appropriately I won't be raked over the coals by the people who happen to get here first. What do you mean by rewarded? Well, the the uh, the um, 
I don't know what the right uh, way to define that is, but that when you join a community, you want to feel like if I contribute to the community, I will I will be uh, honored rather than exploited. Is probably the simplest yeah. way of saying it, right? It can be financial, emotional, it doesn't matter. The point is that like there's a sense in that you know there's a there's a certain level of a social contract, right? If I work hard and play by the rules, then you know I will get a fair shake from the community. Doesn't mean everything will work out, right? It's like a good employer. Like the company can still always go out of business, right? Uh, a dinosaur can come and eat your village, but at least you know that everyone was treating you fairly, so it's worth sacrificing for. Uh, as opposed to feeling like it's a rigged game, which all too often happens in capitalist economies, among other things, right? Uh, the difference, I think, is somebody's different than capitalism, feudalism. Feudalism, it's, everyone's clear that it's a rigged game. <laughs> Whereas capitalism at least has the pretense of being a meritocracy, so in some ways it feels worse uh, when the, the facade is exposed. But regardless, and so, okay, so that's the idea is that if we can create this datocracy definition, and maybe there's a better word. I've been playing with the phrase, uh, the generative governance index. That mm, yeah, this would that be a thing uh... that we could say, so we could, we could evaluate social systems mm -hmm. and say, hey, you're scoring, you know, a 2.5 out of, you know, on this index, but your neighbor over here is scoring a 3.5 because they allow direct democracy, you know. Mm. Um, you know, or, you know, you're, you're, you're three points of red, five points of green, two points of blue. It could be a multidimensional scale. I don't know how it's going to work yet. But the idea is that, um, you know, if we wanted to create a more generative world, we create this index, and then we just start rating people and turning it into a status game. So that's kind of the big idea, is that's how we create a more, you know, humane, decentralized, empowering future by recognizing those systems that are already doing progress. And then we want to get social architects to engage in the same kind of status race that Leeds did for building architects, right? Because once you have a scale to measure how fair and generative, then you can, people can iterate against it and compare each other. And you can shame those who are just really bad um, and you know, honor those who are really good, and that's how you create this pro-social future. So that's big idea number one. Okay. Okay, let me just pause there and see if that makes sense to you. Uh, yeah, I like the term social architect, uh, actually. I don't know if that's something that exists already, but I like whatever that is. It, it sounds good. Yeah. It's just a person that is um, geared towards uh, right. benefiting people in societies. Sounds yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, and the thing I like about this is that, like, okay, the first thing you build is the metric to measure how well you're doing, and then mm -hmm. you know, then it's you know, you tap into the the human colossus, as uh, Patty McCormick says, of uh, uh, no, that's wait, but why? I guess the guy talks about the human colossus. Uh, so, someone yeah. said this is actually Elon Musk's strategy: is you build mm -hmm. a successful business to prove that something is possible and valuable. And then that gets the rest of the human colossus to copy you, like happened with Elon Musk and electric cars. Mm -hmm. And then it gets the entire ecosystem to try to solve the problem rather than you just trying to solve it yourself. Yeah. So this is another, wow. it's, 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 that's another thing. Okay, I have a second big idea, but we'll pause here if you have any other comments. Uh, no, yeah, sounds great. And I can uh, give you a little comment. Um, 
uh, I started playing, um, I play or using this app called uh, Duolingo that uh -huh. teaches you Language languages. Learning? Yeah. Yeah. And at first, yeah, like, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of cute, la, la, la. And, and then, like, okay, I started with what? French and German. And then I threw in, yeah, and then I threw in, I was going to do Russian or, or Sweden, but it, because they're so similar, I'm like, no, I can't do them at the same time. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I was going to go Chinese, but I'm, no, it's that with the little the whole characters. Whole the biggest heavy lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I went Latin. Latin is totally different. Ah. Yeah, so that's that's uh, it's pretty interesting. But the, the that's not the point. The point is that uh, they have some uh, I don't know what what they call it championships or, or something like uh, like every week you can become uh, uh, you become in this you get part into this list of the people ah, who have done the leaderboard? most lessons yeah yeah something like that so yeah uh, you, you know, yeah. yeah exactly so yeah. it's not money it's not you know it's not anything that I can you know, go brag around with people it just personally uh, I feel good if I'm in the top ten and even the top three, uh, but I get to uh, follow people that maybe they're higher than me. Like, oh yeah, this person is learning like five languages. That's cool. So I want to follow that person. Um, and I get to, you know, when they do their accomplishments, I can do a high five or or applaud them, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So basically, you're almost joining a community. You are joining a yeah, community. Exactly. Right, even yeah. though. I'm not messaging them or anything. It's just based on high fives and oh yeah, look at this. Wow, he's that, that's the, okay. Oh, so he did like I don't know, 300 points yesterday and wow. and I'm and today we kind of like I passed him and then he passed me and then she passed <laughs> him. So I'm like oh no, I need I need to do a couple more lessons so I so I can pass them for the day yeah. for the day. So that's what I do, and it's really uh, uh, exciting and and relaxing and also it's a little competitive but it's not like you know some in some football games whatever that people become violent you know some people are like, okay hey yeah i go for my team whatever others yeah. are like oh i want to kill you like like, yeah. like like i was hearing i saw this uh, um, uh hot ones hot takes or um this guy the guy who did born 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 identity the actor yeah he went into this yeah, he he went to this program called Hat Ones, and it's on YouTube. That is uh, essentially two guys eating spicy food, and you know that gets <laughs> gets relatively spicy, right? So he was in there. Yeah. So he had this story about um, him and his wife wanting to go to a football game in Argentina, where his father-in-law is from. And he's like, mm, okay, it's possible, but no women, no children. And he's like, what? Why is it a football game? No, but in there, at least the way they describe it, it's next level. Like the, yeah. uh, the audience, they have to be separated, but you know, from the from, from the field. Actually, yeah. you know, you know, like in 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 here, the whole stadium gets full. Over there, yeah. it's like just the the edges. In the middle, right. it, there's nobody because people will yeah. kill each other. So, and that's. Uh, I started yeah, it's, 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 it's closer to gang warfare in South Central yeah. LA than in a typical American sport, professional sport. Yeah, and the thing is, is that you know the you know uh, professional sport has always been considered a sort of sublimation of mankind's most violent 
tribal aggressive instincts, and it's kind of a way to sublimate that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is as a random side note. Uh, I had the epiphany this last week that I want my son to study game design. He's 13 years game old. Design. He's very okay. yeah. He's very bright. Uh, but I was thinking of all the things he likes to do. Which are the things he does that he could build a career around? And mm-hmm. he actually likes to design games for fun. Like he'll build little card games, uh, like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon, and his own little versions of that. And the reason I like that, as I was trying to explain to my wife, I'm not sure if she believes me. Is like. I'm not saying he should design video games for a living, but if you understand how to design games, you'll understand how to motivate human beings. Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful skill, and it's a really useful skill for things like Duolingo, right? You're designing this experience, and they figured out by putting these gamification elements in there, they can get people to do things that will actually make them more literate and uh, international people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really a key. And of course, you know, if he goes on to become Pegamon and take off the world, that'll be a useful skill to have, although he's resisting that Machiavelli in the future. But I digress. Okay, so the first big idea is is that the, the I'm, I'm just going to call it the GGI, the uh, Governance Generativity Index. Uh, I don't have a, a great name, but, but, but it, it, it's not a horrible name. We may come up with a better one. But okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing I realized and these are the, this is where crypto is amazing. Uh, so the reason I started thinking about crypto, I've been kind of skeptical about it, but uh, a guy named Patty McCormick runs a newsletter called Not Boring, and Not which boring. I heard about okay. first on the Acquired podcast, so I should give them credit uh, when I put up the show notes. But he wrote a piece about Web3. He's going to deep dive on Web3, and he made a really fascinating point. And he started by talking about uh, computational economics. So the Santa Fe Institute, you know, a decade or two ago, started realizing, you know, standard economics uses mathematical models, which are ridiculously oversimplified because they're trying to reduce everything down to an equation. Mm-hmm. So what the Santa Fe people said, well, rather than using an equation, you can create these small little computational agents, and then you can have them interact in a simulation and see what happens. And a computational simulation, we called it Monte Carlo simulation when I was in physics, allows you to explore much richer phenomena than just straight equations, right? Because you can have all these sort of decentralized decision-making going on. And, but what Patty said was fascinating. He says, you know, of course, the thing about the Santa Fe models is they're ridiculously simplified models of a human being, right? Because you only have so much computational power. But what if you could run economic simulations on actual real-life human beings? Now, we do this, like at Caltech and MIT, I'd go to for economics experiments where you have like five people in a room or 10 people in a room, and you have like real money and you play a game and they observe some behavior. What if you could do it with thousands of people with large sums of money, and that's Web3, right? Cryptocurrency is basically a Santa Fe Institute's wet stream of computational economics. Because you build all these economic systems and you get to observe how people actually behave in the real world with real money. It is literally, it's legal experiment, human experimentation. Uh, so, okay, uh, okay, finish your idea. So, so, so the point is, is that, ah, but the problem is of course, is that, so the first target, so everyone who builds a Web3 ecosystem is a social architect. Right? They're trying to establish community norms and economic incentives 
and then and, and they're forced to by the sort of the norms of web three to formally encode their rules for how they vote how they distribute mm -hmm. things etc and this makes it the perfect system for evaluating something like the ggi2 you could say you know we can it gives us a nice rigorous objective and there's like so many of them that you actually can get like you know, you know, if there's only you know so many countries and they're all opaque, it's really hard. But you know, you just pick the easiest ones or the biggest ones, and you can prototype the GGI on that. And you could say, like, you know, hey, this, you know, like there is always something called the um, uh, Satoshi coefficient, I think it is, which is like how uh, concentrated power is in the ecosystem, right? Is like how many players do you have to subvert in order to break the system? And the number's like three for Bitcoin and four for Ethereum and like 18 for Solano. Right? So there's numbers like that that show you censorship resistance. But like if we could come up with a number or a set of numbers that represented generativity, you know, fairness, if you will, um, mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, then people could say, you know, you could apply this to uh, all these different Bitcoins and it'd give you a way of saying like, hey, it's, it's like there was a project called DOSDR. Uh, Have you heard about this? No, I'll say that again. You've heard of TLDR, too long, don't read, yes, too yes, long, didn't yes, read, right? Yes. So someone created a, a website called TOSDR, which is Terms of Service, didn't read. And the <laughs> idea was that you would create a little, like, five or ten line summary of all these terms of service, where it would give you the high points, mm. right? Like, it's yeah. like, that would be so much more useful than these massive long pieces of things. It's like, hey, these are the things that actually matter. Oh, yeah. You'd be aware of it. It's like, oh, yeah, right, you know, so... But you know the the the, the uh, digital compression of it. So the idea is that you can look at the you know not just the economics of the coin, but the uh, governance of the system, and this would give you a way to rate it, uh, and say like you know hey this is you know controlled by these five people who have like no accountability whatsoever, where this is covered you know you know this is generative. This group explicitly has a focus on increasing decentralization. This one, uh, <clears throat> the implicit incentives are set up to totally centralize power over time and make it easy for somebody to just take the money and run, right? You know, if we uh, you keep cutting off, uh, there's something. That... If we could do it, you, you Sorry, keep cutting off. Like... Audience, but yeah, I'm walking in a new area with the dogs, and so I don't know where the uh, dead zones are. Um, but anyway, here. the idea is that, you yeah, are, so the point is, so this is the second big idea, is that if we can apply GGI to mm -hmm. crypto projects, one, it's low stake, right? I mean, if you, if you start, or it's, it's relatively low stake, right? If you start trying to judge the U.S. government, you could get death threats from one side or the other, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, emotion and tied up around patriotism and political things, and there's so much imperfect information, it's really hard. But a crypto yeah, project you know, is small, uh, it's formal. It's, it's meaningful. You could build up a lot of expertise just analyzing crypto projects, and you can also create a feedback loop where the people who design the next generation of projects would be inspired to get a higher GGI score. This is uh, great. So it's like uh, uh, leaving uh, crypto alone, but applying an, a way to measure their uh, generativeness. Right. So generativity. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. 
uh, or even generous is not a bad term either. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned death threats. I think that as a society, and this is just my opinion, I just wanted to comment on that. We have to be more resilient to this thing because they're they're usually uh, wielded by clowns and weak people that have no um, uh, also behind anonymity that have no intention of of going through. There are probably there are true. Few, yeah, there are yeah. few that do it. There are few that actually go ahead and do it. You know, like the guy who drove I don't know how many hours to go to Walmart in Texas. There's this other guy who tried Fauci. Yeah, so it, it so does happen. The, right. The point is that like I'd rather avoid that. Until, like the point is, is do the easy problems first, build credibility, build reputation before you stick your neck out on stuff that has lots of negative side effects, right? Yeah. And yeah. yeah so the uh, and what's interesting to me is is that the um, and then once you have, okay, but then this gets, okay, so that's the second big idea. Here's the third big idea. I said, okay, the first one was like, how do you do all this? Because the, the traditional model for this is you have a foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And you get five or six wise people and you get them in a room and they, do, they have to read all these things. Like, that sounds really tedious to me. What you really want is something crowdsourced where everybody can sort of go in and vote on these things. And say, because you have, but you have to be careful how you do this, right? Because you don't want to have people just trolling it. You want to ensure that they have some stake in the system, they have a reputation, and mm-hmm. that there's a way that people, because well, we're all looking at the same thing, and we're all trying to reach a decision that's consensus that reflects the best possible interpretation of this thing. We want an automated system to verify that the good actors who are trying to look at this sincerely all get to agree, and the bad actors get thrown off. And it's like, oh my God. That is exactly the problem the blockchain was invented to solve. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, how do you get an amorphous group of decentralized individuals to agree on a standard definition of good work and have a system that rewards it? It's like, wow, this is the third big idea, is that mm-hmm. TGI itself should use a blockchain to implement the and that's what, there's a link I was going to send you. There's actually a um, a, a, a role model for this called Abacus, which mm-hmm. is a decentralized network designed to rate the value of uh, NFTs. Right. So there's an NFT which can have many attributes which mm-hmm. are intangible, but people are able to uh, vote on like you know, hey, this is rare. This is uncommon you know, like that. And like they have at least, you know, somebody way smarter than me has figured out at least a decent way to do this for Abacus. And it's like, that's basically what we want to do is once we define the DGI, first we develop a, you know, and this is really critical, right? First we develop a, I call it a crypto ready governance system. We don't use any cryptology at the beginning. It's just something that is pencil and paper with like the five of us. And we make sure that this reflects kind of like how much skin each of us have in the game and, you know, how we can, you know, because like the problem of like, okay, how do you throw out outliers and how do you, you know, allow people to socialize it? Like we do it like, and in fact, the first thing you do it for is our own governance system, right? That's the thing that we want to evaluate and see how good it is against our own standards. And then, but like the problem has always been, you know, one, how do you, who does the work? And two, mm-hmm. how do you revise the definition, right? Mm-hmm. 
because it's yep. just, you know, a bunch of old gray beards and they can get very stuck in the mud. It's like, oh, that's the interesting hard design problem. We designed the governance of this thing so that everyone, as they invest reputation in the system, as they demonstrate by their hard work that they care about this, and oh yes, everything is completely transparent and a public immutable record. So, you know, you can't just like seize power and then erase all the history. <laughs> like everyone can see what you're doing. And there's so little short-term gain from gaming the system um, that it becomes incredibly resilient as long as all the incentives are public and decentralized. So that was the third yeah. big idea is that if we build GGI is, is that, and, and that this was what I realized about, that was important about um, why the Bitcoin crypto matters. One is that like, this is how you can get distributed work and reward people for it and ensure the incentives are aligned. But two, it means that the users of the network own the network. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. You want the people who put the most sweat equity into it to have the most ownership stake on it, but not that they can just like say, okay, I've worked this hard and now I can, you know, claim like the people who were early to Twitter have the most followers and they can just sit up there and snipe at all the people who come later. Right. The whole mm -hmm. get off my lawn problem is like once you go there, then you have to, if, you know, if you've done a great work, you have a lot of credibility. But then if you do nothing, that credibility erodes over time relative to everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You actually do want something else. All right. I'm going to leave with that note. My wife's calling me. Uh, great okay. talk. And we will uh, follow up more on Friday in person. All right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.